Welcome back everyone to Rabbit Hole Stories and today we really have an interesting episode with Eric V. Stacks. Uh, in the beginning you might think like, oh we go down, you know, is cannabis good or bad and these kind of things and these more general questions, but it really ended up in a very philosophical, very deep thinking episode. Um, so yeah, Ian, how did you like it? Because I think that was definitely your cup of tea. Yeah, I'm not surprised and I was looking forward to this um, before um, we spoke with him because I knew listening to his content, he, you know, he really sort of has a, a deep mental dive into the complex world that is Bitcoin and the abstract uh, complexities of it and how he can articulate the the uh, these things in, in, in a sort of palatable way for people. So, you know, he's, he's someone I do sort of listen to and a lot of his views I share. And uh, it was great having the opportunity of um, speaking to him and um, particularly around the whole sort of um, regulation around cannabis and things like that. That's something I really wanted to talk to him about. And um, that's what I took away from the episode. And without dwelling too long, guys, let's get straight into this rabbit hole with Eric. And as always, guys, stay curious. All right, welcome back to yet another week here at Rabbit Hole Stories. My fellow rabbit hole dwellers, thank you for your finite time. And yourself, Eric, thank you for joining us here at Rabbit Hole Stories. How has your day been so far, bro? And give us a brief introduction of who you are and what is that lovely, beautiful backdrop you have there behind you, buddy? Yeah, well, first off, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, this is my green screen, as you can tell. You know, green screen, I thought it would be appropriate to, <laughs> to set up in front of the green screen. Um, yeah, I'm a cannabis producer in Northern California, and uh, I was one of the first cannabis producers in the state of California to receive uh, a license from the state of California. So, um, yeah, I've been producing cannabis for 15 years. Uh, I was participating in the, the uh, unregulated medical marijuana cannabis industry pre- recreational adult use approval in 2018 and at that point the state of california came in with regulations they started to regulate the industry and license people and so i was one of the recipients of uh one of the first licenses that's something you know when i first came across one of your videos when you're walking around in this beautiful farm you have and um i was like oh my god that because for myself i you know i smoke cannabis but here in the uk it's illegal you know, I can get stopped by the police, you know, uh, get arrested or, and or fined for having possession of, of cannabis on me. And uh, I just find it in this day and age absolutely ridiculous personally that, you know, something as medicinal and the benefits of cannabis, you know, can be something that can actually um, be something that can take away your liberty from you just by having it on you and for me personally Eric I don't know about you but whenever I sit back and I smoke a nice uh, joint my mind just opens up my anxiety drifts away and I'm able to actually conceptualize something as abstract and complex as bitcoin more so after consuming cannabis than if I'm sort of like you know at work in my fiat mine and sort of sober if you want to call it that but i don't know if you have the same kind of um if, if cannabis gives you that same kind of impact when you consume it does it sort of expand your mindset somewhat yeah i uh, yes and um the way that i describe that or I look at that or i think about it more so is is for me and i do believe that cannabis is going to have a different effect for everybody subtly different you know we do have cannabinoid receptors within our brain 
And, uh, but everybody's different, you know, their chemical composition and their life experiences are different. Uh, but I would say that cannabis has a modulatory effect for me and it's really good at bringing me into the moment and uh, keeping me present. You know, there's so many things pulling on our energy and pulling on our attention. And when I consume cannabis, it really like centers me and brings me back into the present moment. And it's a, it's kind of like it's, um, it's very calibrating, recalibrating. It'll like recenter you. And when you're contending with the, the woes and the challenges in the world, it's easy to become out of balance or out of calibration. And so, yeah, for me, cannabis is um, definitely, you know, it brings, it, it brings me into the moment. It brings me into the moment for sure. Joel, I'm curious because you know I don't really, um, I don't think I've ever really discussed this with you in relation to your your sort of views on cannabis and stuff. Like that. I don't want to dwell too much on it, but you know, seeing as that we're you know we're we're having a conversation with you know a, a commodity producer in that sense, um, it, you know, it'd be silly not to talk about these things. I think. Yeah, one hundred percent. My experience is so never smoked it, never really was intrigued by it. Um, you obviously learn about it. I mean, if anyone turns 12, 13, 14 in Europe, you know, you sort of get um, you get approached if you go to like Amsterdam or depending if you live in a big city. Um, my only experience with it is really negative because I had neighbors once who had like a really bad batch that smelled horrific if they smoked it on their balcony. And uh, it would always like come into my kitchen. So my like whole fucking kitchen would stink. And uh, that sort of would be my that would be my experience, like, oh, for fuck's sake. But I knew, like, um, you know, they didn't have the the let's just call it best of products at, at the end of the day. Plus, I don't think they knew what they were doing. So, you know, that's sort of the thing. Um, but I, I kind of look at it as a thing. Um, I mean, alcohol is probably, what, 10 times more addictive than and any other drugs. So I don't know what the, the correct uh, um, numbers are there. So and we sort of accept that in a social circle. Um, but you see the same sort of acceptance rate, I guess, with cannabis as well. So I don't have an issue with it personally. Um, and the whole thing, like, you know, if you call it a drug or anything, drug dealing is just a result of uh, the inflationary system we're in because you start to overregulate everything and people will leave to a black market or anything. So that has nothing to do with the matter. Um, my personal experience is just like, I'm okay with it. Just not if someone has a bad batch and it smells horrific because all of these bad memories come back. Yeah, it's the economic incentives. You know, the people want it. And so if the supply is really low because of regulatory impedance, then the economic incentive becomes really high. And if people want it, they're willing to pay a lot. And now the free market will produce it. And so over the last, I don't know, 100 years since prohibition has really taken effect, you know, since the 30s, I would say that the state spearheaded cannabis prohibition. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that hemp is such a vigorous growing crop that can be turned into so many goods that is it's a threat to the petroleum industry it's a threat to the lumber industry and it's a th it's a monumental threat to the pharmaceutical industry cannabis is an extremely medicinal herb and i'm okay if people categorize it as a drug but let's be clear at least in my humble plebeian opinion so is nicotine so is caffeine so is fucking concentrated fructose if you take a beet and you concentrate the sugar within the beet, you're isolating one molecule. As far as I'm concerned, that sugar is going to have a physiological and a psychological effect 
may not be as powerful as cannabis per se, depending on the strength of the cannabis, but it's something that you're putting into your body that's gonna alter how you feel and that's gonna in turn alter how you think. And it's gonna affect your consciousness. 100% Eric, and it was actually gonna be uh, something I was gonna bring up in this conversation is, is, is cannabis a drug? And it's only uh, thought of one because it's been defined uh, as one by, um, you know, the, the centralized systems that we have to uh, currently exist within. And the fact that it's illegal uh, over here in the UK on this um, bit of soil over in here on this part of the planet, and it's not in certain states over in the US, I just find quite mind baffling how certain jurisdictions can define things differently and, and control uh, our consumption of products to a degree that it takes away and limits our actual choice of what is good for us and what choices that we have in order to sort of um, go through our life. And when you've got these same entities putting ingredients in our foods and preservatives that, you know, um, aren't exactly good for us, it raises a whole question about what are the incentives and, and why is it that we, uh, at certain parts of the world, can do one thing and in other parts of the globe we can't do it and i'm just wondering if you've got any kind of thoughts about that bro yeah i do i think it's the indoctrination i think it's the indoctrination is the people break free from being psyoped you know the the people are going to push back against the regulatory framework in whatever jurisdiction that is and that's going to happen in i don't know varying degrees depending on the populace and i think that it's pretty clear in the united states that there's been this progressive ongoing awakening to what's real and what's not and you could say that that started back in the 60s maybe um yeah and so i think that it's the economic incentives that spurred uh the prohibition but i also think it's the same economic incentives that are ending the prohibition because you have these fiscally irresponsible governing bodies that have a monopoly over whatever monetary instrument that populace is using. We're using a Keynesian modern monetary trash bullshit fucking monetary system and it's shredding our reality and it's actually doing this fucking interesting thing, at least from my perspective, where it's creating an existential financial crisis where the regulators that the predecessors or the, the prior regulators, let's say 90 years ago, were threatened by this this commodity within the marketplace because of the effect that it can have on the consciousness within the people who consume it. But the same uh, governing construct or same governing apparatus now has a need to bring in more revenue and cannabis is going to be a great honeypot for them to regulate tax and bring that revenue in. And it seems that that the same economic incentives that caused the prohibition are the same economic incentives that are going to end the prohibition. And I think that that's a, a really fascinating thing. And I do think that the, the indoctrination, pff, dude, it's deep. It's fucking deep. There, and I won't mention the names, but there is one very prominent Bitcoiner who just recently shit all over Elizabeth Warren's post about how we need to make cannabis illegal. And this individual says, they want you poor, baked, and compliant. And I was quite taken back by that, especially coming from this individual who's extremely aware of the implications of our broken money system and extremely aware of how powerful Bitcoin is. And it was and it, and it kind of brought me to a moment of thinking um, it's a related kind of response internally is what I heard from Michael Saylor when he was speaking to Bill Maher poo-pooing Bitcoin. 
And Bill Maher essentially says, hey, Bitcoin's fucked, whatever. It's some Ponzi scheme, some scam. And Michael Saylor says, hey, you know what's really off-putting listening to a wealthy, contillionaire, white guy shit on private property rights for all of humanity? Maybe not in those exact words. And this very dominant, prominent, heavy-hitting Bitcoiner whose contribution to Bitcoin couldn't be underestimated if you fucking tried. This guy has done a lot for Bitcoin. But the first thing that came to mind for me is, is, hey, here's an individual who's looking at Bitcoin through the lens of my portfolio is going to be significantly enhanced if I have Bitcoin. And so I'm a Bitcoiner who seems to live a life that has been, I don't know, had minimal trauma, minimal anguish, minimal struggle. And so for me as somebody who has had, I don't know, some levels of struggle and some levels of trauma and has been deep in the cannabis community or culture and been producing cannabis and been in the cannabis business for 25 years. Since I was 15 years old, I've been participating in consuming and selling, you know, in high school, I was selling bags of weed to my friends and whatever. And what I find is, is that cannabis is such a powerful, rather benign, natural herb that has an immense ability to mitigate the discomfort that we carry as a result of experiencing traumatic things in our world. And so it was pretty off-putting listening to this fucking heavy-hitting Bitcoiner shit on Bitcoin, and I'm like, wait a second, this guy's a fucking, this guy's a borderline whale with a bunch of Bitcoin who came at Bitcoin through the lens of, hey, my stock portfolio is not doing so well, but let me shit on Bitcoin all you are a shit on cannabis, all you stoners, the, the government wants you baked and poor. And it's like, wait a second, hold on, <laughs> hold on here. <laughs> like, have you ever popped an Advil, buddy? You know what I mean? Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself like, dang, I'm, I'm experiencing some discomfort as a result of contending with the challenging world we live in. And so cannabis, says it, it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful drug. I'll call it a drug, whatever, with minimal side effects to help mitigate that discomfort and not to mention like the real for real anti-cancerous properties that are in cannabis cannabis contains molecules and constituents that are some of the most anti-cancerous molecules and constituents known to, to humans here on planet earth you know and so i'm in northern california humboldt county uh for the last 25 30 years humboldt county has been the mecca of cannabis production uh, globally, really. And I just know so many stories of people who have literally gotten rid of stage four cancer through consuming cannabis and cannabis extracts and such. And so, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, maybe you need friends to get to the biggest investment podcast in the space <laughs> Yeah. to, you know, get your portfolio. You can make of that what you want, guys. Uh, it's pretty easy to find out um, who Eric meant. Um, but this sort of goes into something Ian and I have also been seeing in the space. And that is this saying, you know, slay your heroes and like be critical of the things that get put out. Because I kind of like what you said before, the reaction to cannabis can have a different... Uh, is a different reaction for everyone based on their basic chemical build, how we perceive these kind of things. Um, and the same thing applies to Bitcoin, right? Everyone has their unique story to it. And there really shouldn't be a judge in the middle to decide if, if it's good or wrong. Um, and yeah, kind of like, I don't know. If you say something like this immediately, don't you just like your side with Elizabeth Warren? You side with the with literally the system you're trying to fight? Um, 
So yeah, that makes me wonder to a whole lot different degree what, what kind of um, reasons there are behind these sayings. Um, but as you said, you live in the cannabis mecca, so to speak. How is the Bitcoin perception within that community? Because from somewhat, someone looking from the outside in, I would think, well, there's a lot of similarities between what you guys do and what Bitcoin's trying to do. Or is it completely off? Are people like very skeptical of it? Uh, it's nobody gets it. There's very few people who get it. Um, it's 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 normie land. I would say that the percentage of the cannabis producers that understand Bitcoin is relative to the percentage of just the mass populace that understands Bitcoin. And I also want to just circle back since I did comment on a prominent Bitcoiner heavy hitter in the space. I have a tremendous level of respect for that individual. And I would say that their perspective has been slightly skewed through the last hundred years of propaganda and also the dumb shit like the Cheech and Chong culture. You know, and I kind of have an issue with that because as somebody who produces and consumes right. cannabis, um, in an area where there's a lot of cannabis producers who are extremely savvy, healthy, hardworking, entrepreneurial people who are not scummy, dingy stoners by any means of the imagination. I mean, I, 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 in my time, I've ingested so much cannabis, and I don't find, unless I'm, unless I'm so high, I'm self-deluded, I don't seem to think that I represent that Cheech and Chong ethos, so... I would want to say that. But um, back to, you know, the area, not as many people get it as you would think. And, and you would think that these individuals would be heavily primed to understand uh, Bitcoin due to the deflationary forces that we're contending with. And cannabis, due to prohibition, has had, you know, it's been very profitable to produce it. It's come with great risk. And as the risk has become less, as the legal framework has become more, or the, 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 the regulators and the laws have been, been more friendly towards cannabis, um, the, the demand is being met with supply, which is in turn driving the price down. So as a producer, every single year, I'm literally contending with dollar-denominated wage deflation. The amount of money that I earn in dollars is going down, right? And my cost of living, cost of operating denominated in dollars is going up so it's actually worse than being on minimum wage as an example or getting 30 an hour as an example and your cost of living increases by 10 percent or 20 percent in an annual basis and then your income appreciates at five percent as an example you ha you you have a moving target your cost of living is moving further you're th cracking that monthly nut or that annual nut is moving further away it's becoming harder to do and so yeah, I would I would think that more people and that's actually one of the things I've been working on is, is kind of sharing my story, which has been a little bit difficult. I've lived my life in quasi hiding for the last 25 years of my life as a result of the line of work that I've chosen to do. And so, yeah, I've been speaking up to try to bring light to this because actually what I'm experiencing, everybody within the marketplace is experiencing different versions of as supply meets demand you're driving the margin down and that margin becomes perpetually harder to harvest it becomes harder to make the money because if you have a large profit that's a large economic incentive for entrepreneurs and capital to flow into that sector of the marketplace produce whatever is in demand meet that demand with supply satiating the hunger within the marketplace for whatever thing creating whatever thing that the marketplace wants you're creating abundance in that thing whether it's cannabis red meat housing 
Apple stock currency. You know, he has an infinite demand for money. The government's gotten really good at figuring out how to create money and meet that demand with supply, driving its value down, right? And so without having a Bitcoin standard or a, you know, um, an asset or a money that's not inflating in supply too fast, uh, you're toast. And so, you know, for me, um, yeah, purchasing land, my first piece of property, um, going through the regulatory process with my county and my state to get a permit and a, a license from the state of California, getting approved in record times and achieving what was for me at like 30, 32 years old or so, it was a dream come true. There I am standing there with a license from the state of California giving me permission to run my business and cultivate cannabis and sell it into the marketplace. And within 24 months, I realized that that dream was a fucking nightmare and that I needed to sell the property and pivot my business model because I had an existential crisis. And that existential crisis is, is that it's, it's commoditization and jurisdictional competition. And so I produce a commodity and that commodity has a margin. Well, that margin is an incentive for entrepreneurs to attack that margin, to provide that product to the marketplace. And so as somebody also for due to my you know my life experiences i have in some sense kind of felt like a bit of a freedom fighter and i've wanted to commit my life to cannabis uh to help provide cannabis as an option to people who want it within the marketplace and so by meeting that demand by liberating cannabis from pro prohibition by making cannabis abundant and cheap for whoever wants it essentially i put myself out of business because it becomes abundant and it becomes cheap. It's like the robot maker who makes a robot that makes robots. He's toast, he's done, right? And so it goes right back to, dude, I have so much gratitude for Michael Saylor and Jeff Booth because they really helped me as their, their work came into my awareness. It helped me to be able to articulate very, very clearly the forces that I was intuitively, or that I was grappling with that I intuitively knew I wasn't gonna win against. And Bitcoin is the ultimate hedge against that demise. And in addition to that, those forces that make my producer life so difficult are the same forces that make my Bitcoin so fucking special. Because as demand increases for Bitcoin, which is a money, which has infinite demand on it, because money is convertible into any good or service that the marketplace can produce, it's a call option on anything within the marketplace, you may not, there might not be a lot of demand for Miami beachfront real estate. There's a hundred guys who want to buy that $40 million house, right? But 8 billion people, infinite people on planet earth want money because the money can buy anything. It could buy you a cup of coffee. It could buy you that $40 million flat in Miami. And so where you have infinite demand, but true scarcity, now you have the apex property or the apex monetary instrument within the marketplace or the good, the commodity within the marketplace that is going to increase in supply the least and then tell 21 million hard cap is hit. Now it doesn't increase in supply. And so adopting a Bitcoin standard has been really pivotal in for me to not have worked the last 15, 20 years of my life and have nothing to show for it. Eric, first of all, um, your articulations and, and the content you're putting out there and the way that you're able to comprehend and, and compartmentalize the complex things that um, is 
our shitty economy at the moment and how Bitcoin can sort of overcome a lot of our issues is testament to the uh, how inaccurate the stereotypes around Cheech and Chong and what uh, cannabis consumers are in this world, right? And, um, you know, as long as we're putting ourselves out there and sort of um, presenting our arguments in a uh, well-formed uh, uh, way and in an educated way, you know, that's part of the work of dismantling all these stereotypes that are put out there. And what you were talking about reminded me of what you spoke about earlier, Joy, when I asked you about cannabis and the, the shitty smell that you um, smelt from uh, a low-quality product, right? Because of um, the fact, A, it's, it's not legal in certain parts of Europe, and B, that there's a demand. People are incentivized to produce something rubbish, and people are still going to buy it. Right. Obviously, when you're under a Bitcoin standard, what we're actually going to be um, looking for is high quality product, because why else are we going to separate our money, our, our, our sats for some shitty product? Right. Um, so that that's what came to mind uh, when you were talking about that as well. And you see that in everyday life, not just cannabis. But look at cars now. Most of them are just plastic um you know they're, they're not made out of any quality materials whatsoever and that's because of inflation yes you, you might talk about abundance and technology technological advancements but really we're just getting uh lower quality products because the money's been eroded away and people are trying to produce something that people are going to buy but save costs at the same time and lastly uh Eric, sorry you want to talk about that i'm I'm happy, to, I'm happy for you to comment. Go ahead, bro. Yeah, well, I think that's a result. What you're sure. speaking to is a result of trying to chase a perpetually harder to accrue margin. The margin is harder to, to, to get because we live in a deflationary world where demand is meeting supply. But we live in a world where we're being forced to use an inflationary monetary system where the units are lent into existence as debt against assets in the marketplace. So this means that the natural deflation cannot take place denominated in the monetary unit that's being fucking forced down our throats. And so as the number go up in the marketplace, we wanna naturally drive the prices down. We wanna drive them down, but they keep printing and injecting liquidity so that they keep the prices up because otherwise the whole system becomes insolvent. It already is insolvent, but the whole system crashes. So essentially what's happening, and gosh, I, I just, I really like that you said that. I have a 2020, so it's now four years old, Ford diesel truck. I'm particularly, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Toyota. I think that the Japanese culture, they make better vehicles. They've hold on, they've held on to some quality thing there as while America, maybe as a result of having the world reserve modern monetary trash currency, has like debased the quality of the goods here in the States more. But I get into this vehicle and it, dude, it's just, it's like to replace the trucks a fucking $100,000. I think I paid $87,000 for this vehicle and it's not even like the platinum edition. It's just the Lariat. It's just got normal features. It's nothing special. I just need a diesel that's four wheel drive so I can pull my trailer and my grow medium around, right? And it's just plastic and fucking garbage, dude. It's just, don't get me wrong, like I'm grateful for the abundance in my life or whatever, but I look at this vehicle and I just think like, oh my gosh, like a hundred years from now, like 
someone could be sitting in a, in a in a vehicle with whatever propulsion technology exists at the time and instead of plastic shit that looks like aluminum it could be real aluminum like how nice would that be and it's this planned obsolescence dude the system creates this fucking incentive where you just dude all your stuff just fucking breaks after 24 months 12 months you throw it away you buy a new one it's this need for endless consumption because they have to continue to expand the the, the monetary units to infinity and it's just going to cause us to destroy and use everything up dude it's just maddening fucking maddening man oh so anyways mate i feel that madness mate I, I feel that too and i think a lot of people who understand bitcoin share that anger as well and and that, that makes me think about, um, yeah, Ford, you know, it's produced, um, I believe, in, in the US, right? Or they're obviously, um, yeah, so it, it makes me think the only uh, products that are going to have any real uh, uh, quality are those in, in parts of the world where they're able to take advantage of people's sweat and labor in sweatshops and, and not pay people the appropriate um, money that they deserve for their hard work and time. And that's then uh, incentivizing that sort of oppressive regime of, um, you know, you, you see uh, the, this footage in India of uh, the, the slums with their, their canals filled with fabric because that's the only place you can get cheap production of quality good material now uh, because they don't pay them fuck all for that. So we're, we're, we're consuming that and buying these products thinking they're good, but really it's at the advantage of our uh, time and, and um, our autonomy in parts of the world that are more oppressed uh, and um, can demand, don't have the same demands and rights that we have over here in the West. I wondered if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I think from the producer perspective or a business perspective, it's self-preservation. As your sector within the marketplace, whatever that is, let's say you run a clothing company and you're in the fashion district in Los Angeles and you need to procure fabric. Well, as other competitors within the marketplace are meeting the demand by supplying clothing to the marketplace, in order for you to survive that self-preservation dynamic takes place where now what you what are you trying to do there's only two things that you can do you can raise your price or decrease your costs and so what people are going to do is is they're going to go and buy fabric that was made by an exploited four-year-old because it's for self-preservation and it also becomes this self-deluding dynamic where people are like oh well i don't feel good about that but that's just the way the world works and i have to do it because my competitor is doing it and if i don't i'll cease to exist and so and it's like that with food you know nestle let's use nestle as an example as the margin becomes harder to make there's more companies that are gonna package a food-like product with preservatives and stick it on the shelf at a gas station. That means that there's competition within that sector of the marketplace. There's a demand for a tasty, you know, packaged product, whatever. And there's only a few things, there's only two things you could do, raise your price or decrease your cost. And so as a result, they're putting fillers in their shit. Like what comes to mind is, is when, uh, Subway, there was this big issue with Subway five, ten years ago where there, there was like, it was all over the news here in the States. There's this weird chemical in the bread that is also in yoga mats. <laughs> so they're putting this weird chemical to make it easier, essentially to make it cheaper for them to produce a bread that lasts longer 
because if it rots before it hits the shelf, now you have more loss, your costs are higher to operate the business. So it's Jimmy Song's work, dude. Bitcoin or uh, fiat is shitifying and ruining everything. And it's not necessarily because, because we're using a currency. It's because we're using a currency that has to inflate at a rate to keep the asset prices going up. And the assets are also essentially commodities within the marketplace, equities, and housing, as far as I'm concerned, they're commodities. They might not reside. A, a financial planner might not say, hey, a house is, house is real estate. It's not a commodity. Soybeans are commodities. Uh, uh, pork bellies are commodities. Sheetrock, gypsum, that's a commodity. Well, real estate, as far as I'm concerned, is a commodity too. People want houses, you'll fucking build them a house. And then you look at the quality of the houses over the last 50 years. Dude, it's garbage. It's fucking garbage. <laughs> and so... What's happening with houses is this thing, same thing that's happening with used, with cars. You buy a car for, you know, take my truck, for example, $87,000 for an, a new mid-tier diesel four-wheel drive Ford. Dude, this isn't some special rig, dude. It's a fucking Ford pickup truck, right? 87,000 US cuck bucks to buy this thing four years ago, right? Well, if I sold it today, it's like 60 grand, 50 grand, right? Well, the same thing is happening with houses. Why is it that a house that's 50 years old requires a bunch of maintenance and it is shitty because it's old, costs more money? It's because we're measuring the value of the house with another moving metric. It's a variable and the dollar that we're measuring the value of the house in is losing its energy, its power, its convertibility into other goods or services in the marketplace faster than the house is. So it's an optical illusion that's taking place where people think that things are going up in value. And really, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe this is just the cannabis speaking, but as far as I can tell, everything on planet Earth is bleeding energy, losing value, except for Bitcoin. And I actually would say that Bitcoin's not doing anything but staying fixed. It's like Bitcoin is a constant that's hit this world that was full of nothing but variables. And in some weird, like, abstract way, it allows us to, like, solve this really big algebraic equation because now we have a constant. Like, you can solve for things in the marketplace by looking through, looking at things in the marketplace through the lens of this fixed unit. And it's measuring the deflation that's taking place in the world accurately. Like, you can't measure, like this greenhouse, for example, it's 40 feet wide by 72 feet long. If in the middle of building and constructing this greenhouse, which took an enormous amount of work, there's a lot of pieces in this facility. It's a living machine with a lot of moving parts. If during the process of building this thing, measuring in feet or centimeters, whatever, someone just changed how long a centimeter or a meter is or how long a foot is, dude, I would build a, a pretty wonky, shitty fucking looking greenhouse. That's how our world looks. We're building a world with a moving unit. And the fact, honestly, too, from a very optimistic perspective, the fact that we have achieved what we have on a civilizational level, or on, if that makes sense, yeah. Um, it's, it's quite impressive, really, considering we've done so with what a, such a flawed technology. And so it actually makes me quite hopeful on how amazing the future is going to be now that we have this perfectly engineered monetary instrument <clears throat> and i think the beauty is no one is satisfied the way bitcoin uh, works today because they want to improve it tomorrow as well so you not only have a uh, good enough engineered one i'm saying good enough because that's one of the comments satoshi actually made early in the days 
Uh, but it's being improved on on a daily, weekly, whatever basis when like core gets updated and all of these new solutions pop up and ideas come into the space. So it's re it's vastly different from what we are used in the fiat world. Um, and you know, then on top of it, like, hey, you can own the asset outright. Like there's no need to trust a third bank, a third party, um, unless there is some uh, regulatory um, stuff as well. And this kind of gets into the things I want to discuss with you because you said you are, as far as I'm aware, you don't have any issues with the state, at least the state of California, because you're fully regulated with your business. Um, how much of a regulation on Bitcoin do you see as an attack vector? Because the moment you do these kind of deals, you always give up something in return, right? Um, is that something you can take on from experience in your business now, where you went like, oh shit, if, if, if this actually happens at Bitcoin, we need to, we need to, you know, uh, I don't know, grab our forks and, and march on the streets and, and fight against it? Or is this something that you say, this is sort of an inevitable uh, path in the future and we have to find ways to do, do it differently or, or keep something in check that doesn't allow the, the state to fully take over or whatever it is? That's a really good question. And uh, I have been thinking about that in extreme depth borderline obsessively for the last many many years and the reason for that is through sheer selfish purposes obviously i need to make sure that the economic energy slash the money the surplus whatever you want to call it that i've earned in the past is being stored in a vessel that's good enough to preserve that energy and project into the future and when I was first introduced to Bitcoin in a way where I was primed to understand it, because uh, I heard about it in like 2015, disregarded it. I don't have time to be making tech investments. I don't really, you know, I'm not into the stock market. I'm, I'm working in this gray market. I pay taxes, you know, the federal government. They want my tax money, that's for sure. Even though that the, the product I produce is illegal, they definitely made it possible for me to give them their cut, right? And so... In 2017, when I'm sitting on a property that I had just purchased, 10 acres with a house uh, and seven acres raw, and I had already received approval from the county, I was like the 30th permit out of hundreds, actually more like a few thousand that ended up getting approved. Um, I had a huge incentive to understand what the economic forces were that I was contending with. And it was, this was my first real estate purchase and I was all in. All of the money that I had earned for many, many years was in this endeavor. It was invested in this land and in this business. Um, so you could say I was quite primed to uh, understand Bitcoin. And actually too, I also had spent the last six months really going down the rabbit hole of the boom bust cycles with real estate here in the States, you know, since you know, I was uh, selling cars at a Toyota store in my early 20s when the 2008 recession hit. So I got to see firsthand the economy pull back, but I wasn't in a position where I really needed to understand what was happening. And so at this point in my life, I was 2017. Um, and I think at the time, this was like one of the first hour long documentaries hit YouTube, which was basically talking about how Bitcoin can essentially change the world. You have this finite monetary instrument. And as a result, the... Uh, deflationary forces in the world are going to liberate humanity from poverty as a result of having this fixed monetary unit. And so it immediately made sense to me. Also, though, living in a counter, the counterculture life that I had been living, you could call it, um, I, I, I had concerns that, so essentially I thought about it like this, this thing is going to go to multi-millions of dollars a coin, it's going to go up forever, the, the government's going to shut it down and co-opt it. And so since from that point and on, 
I have been thinking about what's the probability that Bitcoin doesn't survive. The longer I think about it, the longer I've thought about it, the more I conclude that I don't think Bitcoin's going away. It would require the proverbial black swan, the unknowable unknown, right? And as that, as I've started to understand that, the larger my Bitcoin allocation has become to the point where at this point and for the last, I don't know, 12 plus months, I literally hold nothing that has any economic energy stored in it other than Bitcoin. I have Bitcoin and then I have a bunch of stuff that I need for the utility value. And don't get me wrong, like I have some things that are nice that I like that do have, I don't know, some, some you know, I don't know, value in them, collectible value or whatever, but I'm not holding them because I can sell them for money in the future. And so, this is a long answer, but <laughs> what I see with Bitcoin that's so similar to cannabis is is you have a emerging industry which has emerged from the free market as a result of demand for something. Our civilization wants a non-sovereign, self-custodiable, that's a word, um, monetary instrument that can't be confiscated, that can't be debased, and as a result, that demand was met with something. Satoshi created something because the world wanted it. Well, the world wanted cannabis to the point where millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans for the last hundred years sold it, smoked it, grew it. The government couldn't stop it, right? And so you have this existing industry and the government says, okay, well, the people want it, so we're going to come in and we're going to regulate it. That and they're fiscally irresponsible. And so they need to capture some regulatory fees and some taxes. So they're going to bring this in. They're going to bring it in the Trojan horse of, uh, of elevate your consciousness and strengthen your empathy muscles right into the fucking, to the castle, right? And so they're gonna regulate cannabis. We're bringing it in and it's a legal thing now. We're cool, it's all cool. You guys can smoke cannabis, we don't care, right? You're gonna pay us your licensing fees and your taxes. And so what I watched happen with cannabis, I see essentially the exact same thing happening with Bitcoin, where the regulators see this enormous honeypot Here's this big industry, multiple billions of dollars. All this money is changing hands. Producers are producing it. People are buying it and reselling it. Retailers are selling it to people. People are consuming it. All this taxing that could take place, all these regulatory fees that could come in, right? Let's just look at the incentives. The regulators weren't like, yo, let's make sure the people have access to this thing because we want to provide them a free market. The regulators are thinking, hey, I need to keep my job and I need to make sure that the business that I work for brings in revenue. Let's go tax this sector of the marketplace. And what they did in the state of California, and I've seen it happen in other states, is, is they essentially come in full force and they want it all. Here we are, we're gonna regulate you. We're gonna, we're gonna license you, we're gonna permit you, we're gonna give you, uh, if you're an existing business, because of course they need, to co they need to coax the existing businesses within the industry to, to come into compliance was how it was discussed. And I experienced this from 2015 to 20, well really to today, but in 2018 is when, 2015 is when Medical Marijuana Safety Regulations Act was signed by the governors of the state of California. And that put into effect the framework to begin the permit and licensing process for cannabis producers. And so in 2015, 
Humboldt County, my county, and really all counties, the counties could either say no cannabis activity or we're going to permit cannabis activity. Once the county permits you, then you can apply to the state for your license. So you have to get a permit. It's kind of like a liquor license. It's dependent on your setbacks, how far from a bus stop, how far from a school, all of these things. You have to have the right property. You can't have creeks going through it. You can't have sensitive wildlife. You can't have wetlands. You can't have spotted owls, all of these things. So it's this enormous process of making sure that you're in the right spot so the county will approve you, right? Well, at the very beginning, they say, we want to permit everybody and we want to license everybody. Come in to compliance and register your existing cannabis business. And as a prime example, Humboldt County says, we're going to permit you. Come into a compliance, register your cannabis business with the planning department and the deadline. So this came out in mid 2015 and the deadline was the end of 2015, December 31st, 2015. 12,000 farms visible from space. So you can go onto Google Maps or you can use satellite imagery and you can see that there are 12,000 parcels that have cannabis production on them that are determined to be of commercial scale within Humboldt County alone, okay? 123 people registered their farms at the beginning of all of this or at that first deadline at the, in, 20, in the end of 2015 because what they wanted was too much. The regulatory hurdles that they needed everybody to jump over was way too much and there was mistrust within the community. So what happened? Instead of sending an army of people around, regulators, to go and bust all these farms that are visible, physical, you can drive up to them with SWAT teams. You can drop out of helicopters and cut their fucking plants down. Instead of going around and busting everybody, you know what the regulators did? They went back to the drawing board and they came back with much more favorable terms. Much more favorable terms. And as a result, they extend the deadline a year to register your business. And then instead of saying, hey, when, uh, <laughs> when, we have pro when we're processing these applications, um, and, and so how did it go down? They wanted you to register the farm by 20, the end of 2015, and then they kicked the deadline one year to 2016. And then the, the, the dialogue at the time was, is we're going to approve you by 2018 when the state's going to start licensing. And if we don't approve you, if you don't get us a complete application and do all the biological studies and pay all the fees and pay the engineers and pay the scientists and pay everybody and pay, 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 we're going to shut you down. Well, guess what happened? They fucking suck at doing their job and they couldn't process these applications fast enough. So come the end of that deadline, they just gave everybody temporary permits. So the short description there is, is I watched regulation. I watched the government come in to regulate an existing industry and they essentially did this. They asked for everything. The people said, get fucked, you want too much. They went back to the drawing board. They came back, they asked for less. The people said, mm. You can still get fucked. We're cool. We're just going to keep doing our thing. They went back to the drawing board. They came in. They asked for less. Now they're dropping all the tax fees. Now they're like, oh, would you guys just please stay in production and keep paying us regulatory fees? Because commoditization, supply meeting demand has dropped the value of the product. So now the cannabis producers, this golden goose, dude, you can, what is the saying? You can, uh, you can shear a sheep a lot, but you can only fleece it once. Do you know what I mean? And so 
It's the same thing with Bitcoin. Yes, Elizabeth Warren wants to KYC everything. It's not gonna happen. It's invisible. This monetary instrument is invisible. You don't even know if I have it. I bought all my Bitcoin KYC. What if I send it to the wrong address? What are you gonna do, send an agent to my house and waterboard me, send me to a key extraction camp and extract my keys from me? What if I don't have them? Dude, I watched them, they, they couldn't go and shut down 12,000 farms you can see on Google motherfucking earth, dude. You and I could sit here and live stream a tour. I could take you on a tour of Humboldt County and show you all my friends' farms right on fucking Google earth, dude. They can't, they can't stop this in my humble plebeian opinion from my experience. They're gonna ask for it all. And you know what's gonna happen? At, at large, generally speaking, the Bitcoin community is gonna say, mm, we're okay, we're cool. Well, I don't, I don't like you. Nah, I'm not sure that that's cool. KYC, miners gonna be like, oh, you want me to KYC everybody? I give the coins? Huh, mm, I don't know. Oh yeah, self-custody wallets. Jade, your Jade, you're gonna have to KYC your Jade. Mm, I don't think we're gonna do that. Do you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna go back to the drawing board and they're gonna come back with much more reasonable terms. And here's why. It's because of the same forces that, I, that make my life hard as a cannabis producer. Commoditization, jurisdictional competition. So California, a bunch of, what, you, I don't know, let's just say that they're, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and call them well-intentioned politicians trying to provide value and regulatory framework to make everybody's lives better in the state. If they say, hey, we got too many homeless people, we need to subsidize crack pipes and tents for all the homeless people here in the state of California, we're gonna increase your taxes. And I'm like, nah, you know what, actually, I'm just gonna move. And then my Bitcoin's coming with me. And then they're gonna be like, no, you need to give us some of the Bitcoin. Then I'm gonna be like, I don't have the Bitcoin. And they're gonna be like, we know you have it. And I'm gonna be like, how do you know I have it? Every time I send it off of a fucking you know, strike, it goes to a different address. As far as you're concerned, I'm paying OnlyFans models with it or something, right? Like, might if I'm sending it to the wrong address, I keep losing it. You know, I'm smoking too much weed. My cognitive function is so impaired. I don't have the fucking coins. They're gonna be like, oh, cool, well, would you just please give us a little bit of, what, can you give us, can you give me a small piece of that coins that you might have? And I'm like, uh, I'm not sure about that. Let me take my time. I'm really stressed. I'm not, you know, it's so hard living with all of these high costs, you know, gas is $8 a gallon. I don't know. I'm really stressed out. So it's, yeah, I think that they want it all, dude. That's when you can lean on your stereotype. You can now lean on the stereotype of teachers. Oh, it's oh, too much weed. I've forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> and the TLDR in it basically is the state can go and fuck themselves and they bend will. the knee because, like, Bitcoin no. doesn't give a shit and nor do we, right? Yeah, man. And, um, mate, um, Eric, I love your energy, bro, mate. And, and um, you're absolutely right. Um, why would we ever sort of allow ourselves to. Um, be subservient again to the, the the state in that way. Why why would we give up what it is that we could have for ourselves, right? And why would we surrender our autonomy for people that only take advantage of our uh, time and energy and have done so and continue to erode it over time? Um, and it's not going to get any better. So yeah, I, I think. 
personally, um, the evolution of Bitcoin is only ever going to become something that we can't yet really fully comprehend because what uh, uh, we could come up with in the future once we sort of dilute and dismantle and disentangle all the trauma of the generational um, co-opting and psyoping that we've been enduring and the potential of the human race could really sort of come into its own. Um, but rather rather than just staying on that topic and, and dwelling too deep on that, because I can talk for hours about this sort of stuff. Um, as you know, the um, halving is uh, due to be around 420, right? And I'm wondering whether you've got any feelings about that. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's serendipitous. I guess maybe if I, I, I look at my reality and I think of life this way, the three of us, we have our own independent realities your life is different and what you see in the world is different than what I see in the world. We're looking at a reality that I would call the consensual reality. It's the one we're all consenting to. And I actually think that Bitcoin brings that consensual reality to a, I don't know, a place of truth in a way that it's never been before. And I think that that's a big deal. And so for me and my own personal reality, it seems just serendipitous almost. It's almost like one little teeny infinitesimal thing that like is like, is the world speaking to me? Like, am I on the right path, you know? And so, yeah, um, you know, I don't think much beyond that. Uh, you know, I could say it's, it's serendipitous. And well, I guess I will also say, I think, I think about life or this reality through the lens of the simulation theory and i heard it broken down there's like a famous video on youtube of uh i think to neil to grouse tyson or whatever his fucking name is and some other prominent scientists and physicists there's like a five minute video that i watched many years ago that i really like and essentially they say and i think elon musk has also spoken to this um if you look at technology today and you look at how well we're capable of creating a simulated reality and you look at the growth that takes place in the evolution in technology and you fast forward the clock five years 500 years five million years it doesn't matter the amount of time it you can say that it's logical to think that we'll create a reality that is indistinguishable from this base reality. What Apple's got their new headsets, right? And so what is it? In 50 years, you can get jump into a little a little tube and you can plug into some reality that, you know, you go play a video game that's indistinguishable from base reality. If that's the case, then it's actually not probable that this is base reality. And so I do listen to things in the universe. This is super metaphysical and you could say kind of religious slash spiritual or whatever. And it's just how I navigate through the world. But I listen to the things in the world and the, some things that you could say are very coincidental. A nihilistic atheist would say that it means nothing and it's just sheer coincidence. And you could say that that's the case. You know, you flip a coin and at some point, statistically, you're going to get a bunch of heads in a row, right? And so... But at the same time, I feel like there's things that happen in our reality that indicate to me that it's possible that there's some sort of communication taking place from the proverbial other side. And I think that generally through all of history, we can all agree that it seems that we come from somewhere and we go somewhere. Our consciousness is separate from our physiology and our biology. And we can, we can sense that and we can feel that. 
And so the fact that the halving's happening on 420, I just think about it in terms of maybe it's some sort of, dude, it's like Anthony Weiner getting caught for sending dick pics. It's just like, ah, oh, that's just like, are we in a simulated, that's a, that's a simulation fucking glitch right there, dude, you know? And so, yeah, I think about it in that terms. <clears throat> but I also want to add one thing to my prior rant about the regulatory framework coming in, because I think this is very, very important. Uh, because there are very prominent Bitcoiners that, that are seemingly convinced when I listen to them talk that we're in for the nation state 6102 in us or 6103 taking the Bitcoin. The ETFs, all oh, the ETFs are this huge honeypot. The government's going to come in and steal it someday when they're really broke. Well, I've thought long and hard about that one. And I don't think that that's probable. I actually think it's probable that that doesn't happen. And it's game theory because we have this global monetary network. You know, co-opting the gold to fund a war is kind of different because the gold can't fly around the world in 10 minutes. You know, Sailor speaks to this. In 10 minutes, the coins can fucking be on the other side of the world. Armies can't move that fast, right? And, and the reason that we have such a contentious issue or the existential crisis that we have is, is because the United States has been the one who's been behind the monetary technology. We have the proverbial or the literal world reserve currency and the rest of the world is tired of us printing money at no energy expenditure and trading it for goods and services that require an immense amount of energy to produce. So if the United States were to take the Bitcoin from its people and from these ETFs, well, first off, the people are going to lose their fucking minds, right? And how many Bitcoiners are actually really going to turn over their Bitcoin? And how would the government even prove that you actually have the Bitcoin? Like, I literally, one of the guys that works at this farm, he threw away a hard drive that had more than one coin on it because at the time it would have cost him like $500 to recover the info on the hard drive and the coin was only worth 300 bucks. So he bought a coin, or he's bought multiple coins, um, many years ago through Coinbase in the very beginning, so he's on a list as buying these coins, but he doesn't have the keys. He took them into self-custody and the, the keys are gone. He literally doesn't have them. How are you going to prove he does? How are you going to extract his coins from him? And then we live in an energy in, energy out world. You can't do something in perpetuity that's not, perver you know, quote unquote, profitable, right? And so what are you going to do? Just put people in camps and just let them live there? Oh, you bought a coin one time. You're just going to live in this camp now forever until you give us the keys. Like at some point, there's not the energy to fund that endeavor if you can't access the coins. It's the game theory. Like we live in a different reality fundamentally. And if I also think about the world in terms of a virtual reality or simulation theory, it's almost like this messianic entity came back, wrote a few lines of code and fundamentally fixed this simulation and tilted the incentive from violence to peace. And now we live in a fundamentally different world. We're playing a different game. The game is different. And lastly, the reason I don't think that the government is going to come after the coins, and I don't think that they can overregulate it in some totalitarian fashion, at least not very effectively, and at least not for very long, is because as a pleb slash peasant, Bitcoin solves a lot of problems, right? Like you guys would agree with that. I believe you guys are of the same plebeian race that I am, right? <laughs> Total peasantry here, right? We're not overlords, clearly. We didn't get invited to uh, hang out at the last WEF uh, bash and get drunk and do a bunch of tomfoolery and scumbaggery and debauchery and come up with crazy rules as how we're going to exploit the rest of the world, right? We're total plebs. If it solves problems for us in the marketplace on a micro level, 
It actually solves the same problems on a macro level for the largest corporations and the largest nation states. And the large nation states are in competition against other nation states, competing over scarce goods and resources. And Bitcoin solves the same existential crisis that they have as it solves the same existential crisis that we have. And so it's just the it's the game theory. And and lastly, I'll say, like, I think what Lowry has done is woken people up like people in the military, people in the government. They might be rent seeking individuals trying to co-opt their current position of power for whatever short period of time they have it to benefit them and theirs. But they're not they they're, they at least got the same ADIQ that us plebs have, right? So they will understand how important it is to adopt Bitcoin. That and it's the game theory. You know, El Salvador will become the richest nation in the world if the rest of the governments try to poo-poo on Bitcoin. If the rest of the nation or the, the, the large corporations try to poo-poo on Bitcoin, dude, they'll just get bought up by MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy will have so many coins, they'll borrow a bunch of money. Dude, they have to lend more monetary fucking units into existence, otherwise the system collapses, right? Who are you going to give it to? The people who are the most capable of making the payments, right? And so that's, dude, MicroStrategy, unless the government, like, decides, hey, we're not going to give MicroStrategy any more debt. But then, once again, why? if they do that, it's the Streisand effect. Everyone's going to be like, oh, they're scared, pile into Bitcoin. So it's just, I think all roads lead it to Bitcoin, I also maintain enough humility to know that like some of the heavy hitters like Eric Kaysen and Matt Cratter who speak to this, like, look, the nation state's coming for your Bitcoin. They might totally know something that I don't. And I maybe I'm wrong and, and, and maybe and if we end up in camps, I hope I'm in camps with them because they're cool dudes. Right. And so but I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Bitcoin liberates the nation state from the same woes of dealing with the deflationary forces and the competition over scarce goods and resources as it does for the pleb and the individual, the small business, large business, small nation state, large nation state, corporation, everybody in between benefits from Bitcoin. I don't even know where to end uh, this episode because I feel like <laughs> the last 10 minutes have been the perfect segue um, into the end. But Eric, as we always do with every guest, um, you kind of mentioned it, actually. I thought I'm not going to do it. I'm still going to do it now. We end the episode with the All Roads Lead Back to Bitcoin Challenge. And we give our guest a word or an association. And they have to come up with a story or something to relate that back to Bitcoin. If nothing works, you can always say you can buy the service or do something with Bitcoin to, to basically acquire it. Um, and we thought the word of the day for you would be nature. How does nature relate back to Bitcoin? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is in nature we have a natural inclination to procure the most resources we can. And the reason that we want to do so is, is because we want to hedge ourselves against future uncertainty and the future certainty of someday I'm not going to be able to physically function as well as I can in this moment, right? And it's like the squirrel who's going to go and acquire nuts to survive the winter. I believe that no matter how many nuts that squirrel has, they will continue to try to acquire more nuts in a, in a forest that does at that time have a limited amount of nuts, acorns, right? So you'll never, ever, ever be able to stifle 
or shut down, stop, whatever, that desire for the squirrel to go and acquire nuts. They will try to get as many nuts as possible. That squirrel is gonna punch another squirrel in the face and take the nuts back to its little lair, its den, and you'll never be able to stifle that. And then if you get a squirrel that has a lot of nuts and you try to redistribute their nuts to other squirrels, you're gonna decentivize squirrels from going and gathering nuts. Because, ah, if I get too many, they're just going to come fucking take them from me. I'm just going to lay here and watch Squirrel Netflix and fucking pop some pills or smoke some weed or whatever, right? And so now that we have Bitcoin, you Satoshi has merged the physical world with the metaphysical world. You have this invisible monetary instrument. It's matter in cyberspace. It's invisible matter. It's scarce, and we can trade it. And it's because it's an engineered money, it's money, we treat it as a money, it's convertible into goods and services, and, and it's, you can look at it like the nuts. You will always want to procure as much as you can, but because this thing is invisible, the fact that you're going to hoard this invisible thing doesn't actually hurt the world, because it's invisible. And now, where it's like Jeff Booth, he says, where you have abundance in money, you create scarcity in goods and resources because people want to get out of the money and hoard the physical things because the money is bleeding energy faster than the physical things are. So you're creating scarcity in houses and in cars and whatever. People are hoarding all of these things because they have some economic energy held in them. Where you have a scarcity in money, you create abundance in goods and resources. So now I can be the proverbial squirrel and go through the forest gathering nuts to survive my life and raise my family and project my lineage into the future with resources. But the nuts are now invisible and it's causing no harm. The fact that I go and gather Bitcoin, actually the fact that I'm gathering as much Bitcoin as I can and I put it in a self-custody, it actually makes everybody else's Bitcoin better, stronger, it's a win-win. And this is something too, Elizabeth Warren does not understand right now we live in a world where there's a win-win available to everybody within the marketplace. We come from a world that was win-lose. Business relationships have been win-lose. And it creates this game-theoretic fuckness where if you're ethical and compassionate and moral and you're not willing to participate in the marketplace as a contender who's willing to win over somebody, you're at a game-theoretic disadvantage. And so now you have this, 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 this instrument that creates a win-win dynamic where if I gather a bunch of it, it actually, and I don't spend it, it makes yours stronger. And then now we're freeing up all of these things that people need. You know, as a result, like I hold nothing but Bitcoin. I actually live in a rental. I sold my house. I sold my cannabis business. I sold my farm. I sold everything that I have. I have two vehicles. I got a wife and a kid. I got two vehicles and I have some clothes and I don't know, a smoker so I can smoke my briskets. And I don't own a whole lot of stuff. I own Bitcoin. And as a result, I think a few things are taking place. One, I'm putting downward price pressure on other assets in the marketplace that people use to store economic energy in. And I'm putting upward price pressure on the Bitcoin by holding the Bitcoin. And that's good for everybody. It's good for homelessness that I don't own rentals. It's good for Bitcoin that I don't want to spend my Bitcoin and I want to stay productive to continue to purchase Bitcoin. So 
Yeah, that's what I think. I think we live in a fundamentally different reality. It's a new world. Satoshi changed the fabric of our reality. He merged the physical world with the metaphysical world, and now we can hold this invisible monetary instrument, and the fact that people are doing so is good for everybody. Dude, Bitcoin. the fact that I have Bitcoin, the fact that BlackRock has Bitcoin is good for people who don't have Bitcoin. The people in Skid Row in LA that are living on the streets right now, their life is getting slightly better every single day because Bitcoin exists. Downward price pressure on houses. I, I do. I talk to people all the time. They're selling off. I talked to a guy just recently who sold the house he lives in and he's renting it back from the new owners and he swept the fucking equity into Bitcoin. Nice. It's a big deal. Eric, I think this is the perfect ending now. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, where can they hit you up? Um, and are you going to be at any of the Bitcoin events this year, like the conferences? If they want to meet you in person as well. Yeah, I am. I'm at Eric V Stacks on Twitter, um, and I am going to Madeira. I'll be in Madeira um, in a few weeks, and I'm probably going to go to El Salvador to the having party, and then I'm going to Tennessee. Um, I'll probably go to Prague as well. I got to figure out how to, I don't know, swing it all and pay for it without selling some of my precious Bitcoin. So, but yeah, I'm definitely going to be at Madeira and I'm on Twitter and I, you know, post a couple videos a week just ranting about how I think Bitcoin is changing the world for the better. Nice. Cool. So we look forward to seeing you in Prague, potentially, hopefully if you can make it. And uh, for any of the listeners, as always, thank you for listening in, for giving us your finite time and stay curious.